Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and I'd like to start off today's episode with a nice story that I've told many times. This period of my life is easily the most dramatic time I've ever experienced, and I learned quite a bit from it. In March of 2012, I was one of two trumpet players selected to play trial weeks as principal trumpet with the Indianapolis Symphony. Playing trumpet in an orchestra had been my dream for as long as I could remember, so to have an opportunity to play principal trumpet with such a great orchestra was amazing. My trial weeks were in May of 2012, and because of the lockout Indianapolis had in September of 2012, the other candidate, Casper Knussen, didn't play until April of 2013. It was a long 11 months, and I was pretty unsure of how they were going to be able to remember my playing after such a long period, but nonetheless, I got called and was told that I got the job, and I would start in September of 2013. It's hard to describe how I felt at this point. Of course I was happy, but because of the long waiting period I experienced, it sort of didn't sink in right away. But all I knew is that all of my hard work I did in school paid off, and I had achieved the goal I had always wanted to reach. After starting in Indianapolis, I also got engaged to be married in November of 2013. At this point, I really felt like things in my life were coming together. I had become okay with the idea of being in Indianapolis long term, which was a big deal for me at the time. I had spent four years in undergrad and two years at grad school, so being in a place long-term was a foreign concept for me. In March 2014, six months after starting, I was informed I had not received tenure with the Indianapolis Symphony. I was to finish out the season, and then the job would no longer be mine. Suddenly, I no longer had the future I thought I did, And even worse, it felt completely out of my control. What followed was a three-month period that was not really that great for me. Not only had I lost my job, but my fiancé and I broke up as well. I did the best I could to keep moving forward and was fortunate enough to win the job I am currently in now, Principal Trumpet of the Alabama Symphony. After all the time that has passed since not getting tenure, I can look back with clarity on how this seemingly horrible event actually led to greater happiness and satisfaction than I ever could have imagined. The title of this episode is The Best Worst Thing That's Ever Happened to Me, Lessons from Indy. I tried to come up with really great names for these lessons. There are five of them, by the way. I have read Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown, a research professor who has written books and done many lectures on the power of vulnerability, 
as well as my wife showing me some rules laid out in a book by Jordan Peterson, professor of psychology at the University of Toronto, and they both have these really clever titles for their rules. Rules like, people are hard to hate up close, move in, or pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. I'm not as clever as them, so the title I came up with for the first lesson I learned is, when I receive feedback, I should make sure I understand. If anyone has a really awesome way to say that, I am definitely open to ideas. The way I learned this lesson is most specifically explained by my tenure meeting in Indianapolis. For anyone who doesn't know, during your probationary period, before you receive tenure, you usually have one or two meetings with your audition committee and the conductor where you receive feedback on your job performance. It can either be good, something like, we are really enjoying everything you're doing, keep doing that and you will get tenure. Or it can be not good, something like, you play too loudly all the time, or nobody really likes your personality that much. The good news is, is if you receive negative feedback, you still have some time to figure out how to fix the things they would like you to fix. Unless it's your personality, that's probably not going to get fixed in time. For me, the feedback in my tenure meeting in Indy was quite unclear. I was told that sometimes I'm not playing with the rest of the orchestra, and sometimes I was showing some leadership, but the feedback they gave me overall was vague as to where they wanted me to improve. I was also told that I should have been able to play the high Ds in the glacier scene of Alpine Symphony louder than I did. Never mind that I was never asked to play them louder, I guess I just should have known that. I remember leaving that meeting and calling my undergraduate teacher, Michael Anderson, and walking him through everything I was told. Towards the end of the conversation, I said, what if I get fired because I can't fix these things that I'm not clear on how to fix? And it turns out that might be exactly what happened. Looking back, a big part of me wishes that I had just asked, can you provide any clear examples of what you mean when you say that? Another thing I wish I would have known is that it's pretty important for you to take in representation for you to those meetings. I was not really made aware that the orchestra committee is there to represent you in those meetings. Just a side note for anyone who has or will have a job someday. If you contrast that with my experience in Alabama, I can say that a big part of me having success was the fact that the concerns that were raised about my ability to do the job were communicated very clearly, allowing me to make swift and positive changes. I feel like the 80s cartoon G.I. Joe nailed it on the head when they said, knowing is half the battle. The first lesson I learned was quite practical and has helped me considerably in my quest to try to do things right. The next four lessons are all about how my mental state changed from this experience. I can easily say that my life feels like it's in two parts, before and after Indianapolis. There is so much to unpack regarding this change, so I will do my best. The title of the second lesson I learned is Goals Are Just Goals. 
When I was a sophomore in undergrad, my teacher, Michael Anderson, asked me, what do you want to do with your career? I answered him, I want to play in an orchestra. I knew from that point on that I wouldn't stop trying or believing that I could one day make a living playing a trumpet in an orchestra. The summer after my junior year, I did a week-long masterclass series with Barbara Butler and Charlie Geyer. They taught at Northwestern at the time, and they were regarded as being two of the most successful trumpet pedagogues ever, especially having success placing students in orchestral jobs. During that week, Barbara called on me during one particular masterclass and asked, what do you want to do with your career? I said, I want to play in an orchestra. She asked, which one? And I said, I don't know, a big one, I guess. She said, which job do you want? And I said, Phil's job. Now, I'm speaking of Phil Smith's job, who was the former principal trumpet of the New York Philharmonic, but obviously I don't have that job right now because Chris Martin, who now occupies the job, is the man. But I tell this story to paint the picture of my mindset during that period. When I studied at Northwestern and started having even more success at competitions and auditions, I had an incredible amount of confidence. I basically identified with my successes as a trumpet player, equating my worth as a person with how well I played the trumpet. The reason that is important is because that mindset was shattered when I didn't get tenure in Indianapolis. I thought, how am I going to get a job like Phil's job if I'm not able to get tenure here? I started doubting the confidence that I had lived by. Even worse, I began asking myself, who am I if I'm not a great trumpet player? Who am I if I don't achieve my goals? Well, I'm sitting here on the other side with the ability to say, it's okay. Goals are just goals. They are necessary to help guide the decision-making process, but they shouldn't define who we are and who we will become. Interestingly enough, I took one of the Cincinnati Principal Trumpet auditions the day after I found out I didn't get tenure. It was the one Matt Ernst won. I vividly remember going there so shaken up, questioning everything I thought I knew. At some point, I pulled myself together and just said, I don't know what to think, so I'll just focus on telling my story when I play. I went out for the preliminary round, and quite honestly, I played a pretty rough round. It was rough enough that I was convinced I wasn't going to advance. But auditions can be weird, and they must have liked something I did, and they advanced me. I played a great second round, and I was advanced to the finals. Obviously, I didn't win it, but it proved that I could still play, and that gave me hope. After that, I had four more auditions. National Symphony Principal, which Billy Gerlach won, Fort Worth Symphony Principal, which I believe Tom Couples won, Atlanta Symphony Utility Trumpet, which Mike Myers won, and two weeks after that, Alabama Symphony Principal, which I won. In the three months that passed between losing my first job and winning my second, I had come to the conclusion that I now hold to be a truth in my life. I play the trumpet. I am not a trumpet player. Trumpet playing is something that I do, but it does not define the totality of my existence. I was okay with the idea of not winning Alabama, 
moving to Kansas City to live with my fiance, Jenny, which obviously did not work out. And I was okay with basically being broke. I was no longer sold to the idea that I was a failure if I didn't achieve whatever goals I set out to achieve. Goals are just goals. lesson I learned ties in directly with the second, but I thought it would be easier to digest in more segments. The title of the third lesson I learned is, You're More Than Meets the Eye. I hope all my 80s and 90s friends got that Transformers reference there. As I discussed in the previous section, ultimately we are more than trumpet players, but it makes sense for us to identify with our instruments. We put so much time and energy into the years of practice to hone our craft. On top of that, when performing, we are basically putting our heart and soul and all of the emotions associated with that out there with the notes that we play. And it can consume us. When we have a great practice session or a great performance, we seem to ride a high that can last a very long time. But when we have bad sessions or bad performances, it seems to ruin our mood for a while as well. It just seems ridiculous to let a piece of metal shaped like a trumpet control how I will feel on any given day. It rears its ugly head when receiving negative criticism as well. We work so hard to put it all on the line, and when someone critiques it at all, we feel like not only have they said, your time isn't stable in these two measures, but they are also saying, you're a horrible person, stop trying. When we identify with our craft, it becomes hard to separate ourselves and have a healthy balance between hard work and non-association. Hard work is essential to improving, there's no way around that. Also, putting ourselves emotionally on the line is the only way to make truly compelling music. So, how do we balance those things and keep our minds healthy? I've boiled it down to the distinction between standard and expectation. The standards we all have for our own playing should be as high as we can possibly imagine. Perfect time, perfect intonation, perfect rhythm, beautiful sound, inspired and informed phrasing. This is what drives progression in the practice room, the desire to achieve a level greater than where we are currently. However, our expectation when performing or auditioning should be zero. We should go in trying to make the most music we can, and if things don't go our way, that should be fine. We assess the things that went wrong, we add it to the list of things to practice, and we move on. In my opinion, we should be playing for more than ourselves. It should be for the audience and the music. If the audience enjoyed the music we made, we did our jobs. Bottom line. Ego cannot corrupt this ideal. I'll leave this lesson with a beautiful quote from Michael J. Fox. At least, I got it from his IMDb page. The quote is, I am careful not to confuse excellence with perfection. Excellence I can reach for. Perfection is God's business.
next lesson I learned in Indianapolis is life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. It's a famous line from a John Lennon song. This lesson has been revealing itself to me constantly over the last five years. Essentially, I've learned things happen for a reason. I had my life planned out in Indianapolis. And in one quick meeting between the conductor and I at Indiana University, all those plans disappeared. It's a frustrating thing to not really be in control of your own destiny, but it's a reality for so many musicians. We have to go where the jobs are open, and on top of that, you have to win that job. It's not really that easy to do. Of course, there was a fair amount of anger in this realization of my lack of control, but looking back, it's incredible how things played out to give me a life so much greater than I ever could have planned for. One of the great things about my new job was feeling like I fit into the Alabama Symphony right away. I got along with people, my playing felt like it just worked, and interestingly enough, because of my experience with losing tenure in Indy, I appreciated this job so much more than if I hadn't gone through that experience at all. The absolute best thing, though, about not getting tenure and moving to Alabama is I ultimately fell in love with our principal clarinetist, Kathleen Costello, and now am part of a beautiful family, something I truly couldn't have pictured or planned for. Reasons like this are how I'm able to make a case that not getting tenure in Indianapolis is actually one of the best things that has ever happened to me. So, we are on to the last lesson. You would think that ending on the lesson where I talked about meeting my wife would be a great place to end it, but I'm not going to do that. Although this has been my story, I'm going to leave it on an encouraging note for anyone listening who might be struggling with some of these things I've discussed, or just struggling in general. I think it's wonderful to celebrate people for their successes, but I think it's incredibly important and noble when successful people open up about their failures. I would consider not getting tenure to be my biggest failure in my career, so that is why I wanted to open up about it. The title of the fifth and final lesson I learned is, When you're going through hell, keep on going. Barbara Butler, who now teaches trumpet at Rice University, has had countless successes in her own trumpet studio and placing people in orchestral jobs, as I mentioned earlier. She actually has a two-foot by three-foot whiteboard in her studio that has all of the ensembles that her students have won jobs in, as well as the number of students that have won jobs in that particular ensemble. And guess what? The entire board is full. I've heard her say many times that when thinking about why her students are successful, she came up with four common traits that all of them share. The first trait they share is talent. They were all talented, but she will say this is unimportant as talent is nice to have, but it's not really the deciding factor for success. The second trait they all share is a great work ethic. 
But she will say everyone who wants to be successful already has a great work ethic. So that's not going to separate you from the rest of the pack. The third trait they share is intelligence of work. This is where students begin to separate themselves, she says. How wisely you use the practice time you have determines how quickly you improve. It's not just about the hours in the room, but the quality and the consistency of the work that matters. The fourth trait, she says, is the most important. All of the other traits matter, but without this one, they would not succeed. That trait is perseverance. The will to push on no matter what. The will to believe in yourself when things are not going your way. We all have had times where we may doubt ourselves, but perseverance is what gets us through that and to the goals that we all have. Failure is an integral part of success. How can you expect to learn if you never fail? One of my favorite YouTube fitness personalities is a guy named Brian Allsrue. He's a strongman athlete in the Baltimore area, and he's incredible. He's super strong. He's super fast. Very, very knowledgeable about what he does. But what really impresses me about this guy is he just preaches that your mindset is the most important tool and asset that you have. Being willing to put yourself out there in a competition is a courageous thing. And the only two outcomes from that competition are either you will win that competition or you will learn. There is no failure involved. For us, it's the same. Any performance, audition, competition, chair placement, or rehearsal is a chance to put yourself out there. If it goes well, great. If it doesn't, you will learn. And sometimes that might be the thing you need the most. I'll close out this episode with my favorite quote. It was said by Michael Jordan. Everybody should know who that guy is. The quote is, I've missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Things might not happen on your timetable, but if you believe in it, you can achieve it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so on Facebook. I have an artist page, so go ahead and just search RB Trumpet and you should find me. I want to thank Dan Carson and his brothers for the intro and outro music for this podcast, as well as Brett Bellamy, one of my former students, and his band Empire Springs for the music within the podcast. You can find him on Facebook, probably on SoundCloud, all sorts of different things. Just search Empire Springs and you should be able to find them. They're really amazing, so please check them out. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.